This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we're talking about keep more of your money with tax sensitive allocation. And with me today, I have financial planner Kelsey Banky. And Kelsey, I think everybody would like to keep more of their own money. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. Even though I really love my country, that doesn't mean I want to pay more in taxes than I really have to pay. (laughs) I'm all for paying my fair share. And that's it. Not a penny more. That's exactly right. (laughs) All right. So what is tax-sensitive allocation? Tax-sensitive allocation means thinking about how to set up and invest your money in what we call tax-efficient funnels. And it's basically leveraging the order of money to maximize cash flow out of your tax-efficient funnel so that you keep more of it and you pay tax with less of it. That, in a nutshell, is what we're talking about. So, Kelsey, there's really three different basic tax-efficient funnels that are out there. What are the names of those three? So the three kind of categories that most money falls into is uh, first pre-tax, second post-tax, and last tax advantaged. So um, depending on what type of account you have, it will fall in one of those buckets. That'll influence both the taxation on the money going in, but also how the money's taxed when it comes out. Right. Of the account. So tax efficient or tax sensitive allocation means effectively distributing your money between these three funnels so that you can keep the most of it when you're ready to take it out. So let's go ahead and kind of dissect these funnels and let's go after the pre-tax one first because I think that's the one that people know the most about. So in the pre-tax funnel, this is where things like your 401k through work, your IRA or your pension sit. And Kelsey, when money goes into those, what's happening? So in those particular accounts, in most cases, um, your money is going in as a pre-tax contribution, meaning you're not paying taxes on the money that you earned that actually went into those accounts or into those um, uh, different funnels. Uh, the, the one exception to that is if, is if you're doing a Roth 401k contribution or an after-tax 401k contribution, those would be separate from that. But the, the the traditional contribution to a 401k and the employer match piece of that um, is, is a pre-tax uh, contribution. Now, because they went in pre-tax and you got that tax benefit on the front end, you will pay taxes on the back end. Uh, distributions are taxed and they're taxed at ordinary income rates. So whatever your uh, income rate is at the time that you take the distribution, that's the rate that you'll be uh, charged in the in the tax realm. So think um, about at a, that time. Yeah, think about a funnel when we're talking about this. So you know, you picture a funnel has a big fat mouth at the top and then a little tiny thing coming out at the bottom. And so in the pre-tax funnel, you're getting the tax break when the money goes in, but when it filters out, when it comes out of your funnel to you to spend, then you're going to pay taxes on whatever that is, your tax bracket, like Kelsey said, then. Now, the second funnel is post-tax funnel. And in the post-tax funnel, your contributions are made with after-tax dollars. So after you've already paid taxes on the money, then what do you do with it? So things that belong in the post-tax funnel, Kelsey, are what kind of assets? So in this particular funnel, we have bank accounts, brokerage accounts, 
um, and real estate typically fall into this funnel. And, and the reason for those things being in there is you've, you've already paid tax on the money that you put into those accounts or that you bought the real estate with. And um, while that, that investment is being held, any gains on that investment are um, deferred until you sell the asset or until you take the asset and, and go use it for other purposes. And at that time, then you're charged taxation. Right. So when the money comes out of this funnel, usually what's happening is some of it's taxable. And it, each of the different types of different investments inside there is going to dictate how much of it is taxable. But if you've paid money in taxes before it comes into your funnel, then what filters out is likely to be only partially taxable. So you can get some tax preferential treatment here on some of these things. And we're going to talk about what tax preferential treatment means in a little bit. But the basic understanding needs to be that coming out of this funnel is not necessarily all taxed. It's partially taxed. The third funnel then, Kelsey, is what? Tax advantaged funnel. So inside of this are things that can have um, benefits from a tax perspective on the front end or the back end, or maybe both. Um, so inside of this, we've got um, Roth plans, anything that has a Roth treatment, um, flexible spending accounts, health spending accounts, or health savings accounts, excuse me, 529s. Um, and then also cash value of life insurance would fall into this bucket as well. So the tax advantage is an interesting funnel because most people are looking for advantages when it comes to their taxes. Your contributions going in here could be either pre-tax or after tax. But the biggest distinction of this one is that as long as you follow the rules, distributions from these accounts could potentially be tax-free. And for sure, tax-free is my favorite kind of money. <laughs> I'm all about creating as much tax-free income as possible. So there's different nuances, especially when you start talking about like the flexible savings accounts, the health savings accounts, the 529s, the Roth rules. There are unique rules and nuances to every single one of those things. So they don't work the same. You do have to do your homework, talk to your tax preparer, talk to your financial advisor, make sure you understand the rules of them so that when the money comes out, you are actually going to get the tax advantages of this. So why does this matter? Like, why does understanding these funnels matter? And I think that the biggest answer to that comes down to measuring your tax bracket. When we think about taxes right now, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was enacted in the last couple of years had a variety of different provisions to it. But ultimately, for most brackets in most filing statuses, it lowered the bracket numbers. So we're paying less tax on the lower dollars that we're earning. So Kelsey, based on everything that you know and understand about taxes, do you think that tax brackets are likely to go down in the future, stay the same in the future, or go up in the future? Oh, you know, when you look at the giant deficit that we have in this country, um, and I don't <laughs> think anybody would really argue with that, that's constantly in the news, um, and that it's growing currently, there's only a handful of ways to solve for that problem. Um, and it's just like if you have a household debt, you either have to cut back in spending or you need to increase uh, what you're earning. Um, you know, things like that are the, the, 
the formula for solving a debt problem. So when it comes to the government and how we solve for debt issues in the government, they either need to cut spending, which is cutting the money that the government's spending, or they're going to have to increase their income, which in the government world is increased taxes. So I would anticipate taxes going up sometime in the future. I just don't know when that's going to happen and how much they're going to go up, but I would, <laughs> I would put my money on that side of the, the, the bet. Um, yeah. But you never know. And I would agree with that. I think there's a much higher probability that in the future taxes will go up than that they'll go down from where they are. So one of the things that the, these tax efficient funnels play into is, well, where should your money be positioned when you're ready to take it out? And if we think about where tax brackets are now and that there's a probably a stronger likelihood that taxes will increase versus decrease, then having your money set up in tax efficient funnels that is going to allow the money to come out to keep you in a bracket in the future when taxes must might be higher that is going to be tax advantage then is what we're talking about when it comes to tax sensitive allocation. You know, there's an old axiom of, oh, defer your taxes, defer, 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 because when you're in retirement, you're going to be in a lower tax bracket. And what we're saying is that may or may not be true. <laughs> it probably was more true 15 and 20 years ago, but it might be less true now. And the reason that it's less true is because taxes are at fairly low rates right now and people are doing a better job of saving for wealth. And if you're somebody who's concerned about taxes in retirement, it's probably because you're somebody who has money that is going to be taxed in retirement. So if you have quite a bit of savings, if you have built up your retirement accounts and things like that, and you're starting to pay attention to taxes, you have to understand that you may not actually be in a lower bracket when you retire. In fact, if you've done any kind of good job of saving and planning for your retirement, you're likely to be in the exact same bracket because you're wanting to continue your same lifestyle. And that may be something that leaves you in the same tax bracket. So deferring taxes for the future will not necessarily result in a tax savings in the future. It could be the same or it could be even more if the brackets go up. And that's why tax-sensitive allocation matters. So ultimately, at the end of the day, what you want to have is you want to have money in more than one of these funnels. You want to have some money in the pre-tax funnel. You want to have some money in the post-tax funnel. And you want to have some money in the tax-advantaged funnel. And what you're contributing to each year completely depends on your situation. And it probably is going to shift year to year in terms of some years you might tilt more towards pre-tax, some years you might tilt more towards tax advantage. Depends on your income and your bracket. It's not just a one-size-fits-all type of answer. So when you're thinking about what to do with your money and how to invest it, it's important to be planning for how that money is going to come out in the future and making use of each one of these funnels. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and we're talking about how to keep more of your money with tax-sensitive allocation. Now, we talked about the three main funnels and the order of money, which is pre-tax, post-tax, and tax advantage, and that the money comes out of those funnels with different tax characteristics. But now I want to talk a little bit about capital gains, because understanding capital gains actually is a foundational aspect of what we're talking about here. So capital gains rates come in three different 
brackets, basically. You have a 0% gains rate, a 15% gains rate, and a 20% gains rate. And for capital gains, you, what you basically do, there's kind of like a stacking thing that happens. So you, in, in very general um, terms, you add up all the income that you have, and then you're going to figure out what your bracket is. And then based on that bracket and how much income you have, then you're going to be able to understand whether you're in the 0, 15, or 20% capital gains rate. So no matter what you have going on, the capital gains rate is always less than whatever your bracket rate is. So there's, there's no way within the current tax system for your capital gains rate to be higher than your actual income tax bracket is. So anything you can do to have capital gains taxation versus ordinary income taxation is going to be to your advantage. And that's part of what we're talking about with tax-sensitive allocation is how do you get these advantages yourself. So Kelsey, what is the difference between short-term capital gain and long-term capital gain? So short-term capital gain is anything that was gained within one year of the purchase of the asset. So for that very first year, any gains that you realize on an asset would fall under the ordinary income tax rate. So they don't get that long-term capital gains rate that Mary was just talking about. Um, but once you reach that one-year mark, then everything after that point would be a long-term capital gains rate. So there are a couple of different things that get taxed as the long-term capital gains rate once you've held it for a year. And those things are qualified dividend income and capital gain income that comes from stocks, mutual funds, and ETFs, and real estate sales. So when we're talking about what to invest your money in, when we say things like a brokerage account, a brokerage account might hold a stock, a mutual fund, and an ETF. And that's where you might be able to capture dividend income and capital gain income, where the increases in those are taxed at this lower capital gains rate. So that's an example of tax-sensitive asset allocation is setting up your, your, your money of what are you buying with the money going into these funnels in a way that the tax is preferentially treated with these long-term capital gains rate. Now, if you put money into like your traditional 401k or into a traditional IRA, that's all going to come out at ordinary income rates, which is always going to be a higher tax rate than the long-term capital gains. So when you're thinking about what to invest the money in, you know, in terms of the investment vehicle, paying attention to what taxes it's going to generate is a really important piece of the puzzle. Absolutely. And I think it's really important to recognize that each has each of these different buckets and funnels has their own um, benefits. So their own pros and their own cons um, when it comes to both money going in and money coming out. Now, if you only have one type of money, then your your decision is, is simple in the fact that you can only draw from that funnel. However, it might not be the best tax sensitive um, situation for you. So um, if, if you've only saved up for your retirement inside your 401k or inside of a pension and you haven't created money in either of those other two funnels, you might want to talk to a planner about how to best implement maybe those other funnels into your retirement planning to give you some more choices as you enter and get closer to retirement. 
Okay, so a lot of people will think, oh, I just want to put my money in the bank or I want to put my money into savings bonds or corporate bonds, government bonds, CDs, things like that. And what people don't always understand is why there there might be a feeling of comfort with those because there's a perception that they're lower risk. The income, the interest income that comes off of those vehicles is taxed at the highest marginal tax rate that you're in. So while it might provide a more steady source of income, it's a source of income that has a higher rate than if it is something that came off of, say, a mutual fund or an ETF. So even if the um, comfort level is there, if you keep less of it, it may not be doing you as much of a favor as you think it is. Now, another thing that people don't realize is um, when they think about municipal bonds, so municipal bonds could be issued by a state or a local government, while they might be federal tax exempt, and if they're a state connection, they might also be state tax exempt, one of the things people don't understand is that once you're in retirement and you're on Social Security, Interest income from tax-exempt bonds still counts in the formula to figure out how much of your Social Security is taxable and or if you need to pay a higher Medicare premium. And so you might be thinking you're getting a tax advantage, but it's going to actually create a disadvantage in the Social Security and Medicare side of things. So there's a lot of different things that you have to keep in mind when you're trying to figure out how to set yourself up for the most tax-efficient income stream and to keep as much of your money as possible. Now, when you're alive, that's one thing because you're trying to manage your own bracket. But there are also tax-sensitive allocation things to consider when you die that your beneficiaries are going to have preferential tax treatment with some things and not with some other things. So Kelsey, when someone dies with a traditional 401k or an IRA, what happens with the taxes on those right now? So the taxes still have to be paid on that. Um, so your beneficiaries would be able to take, um, you know, either the the whole asset and cash it in and pay all the taxes at once if they'd like, but that could be a, a pretty big mm-hmm. tax hit depending on the size of the account. Currently, there is an option um, for a stretch IRA, um, which would allow the beneficiaries to take on the account but stretch out the amount of time that they are taking distribution. So it resembles an RMD um, style of calculation where there's a certain amount you have to take every single year in order to stay in compliance with the, the stretch IRA rules. But you have a minimum amount you have to take, and that allows you to to spread out taking that distribution over a very, very long period of time and then being more calculated in your taxation. So you can look at your taxes from year to year and decide if you want to take more um, or not um, and just be a a little more intentional with the taxation on that. And that's currently available, but they've been talking about potentially um, taking that option away. Yeah, and them taking this option away is a huge deal. So let me tee it up for you. Let's say that you had a $700,000 401k and you are not married and you're going to pass that down to your children. Let's say you have one child. Well, if you pass that down currently, that child can take the $700,000 IRA. They can turn it into what's called a stretch IRA. 
And then each year they take payments out of it. Let's say maybe the payments coming out of it are $30,000, $40,000. Well, they're going to pay taxes on the thirty dollars or $40,000 a year coming out of it, which is going to be in a fairly low bracket depending on their own situation. If we don't have the stretch IRA rules allowed anymore, it's going to force that whole $700,000 to come out at the immediate time, and it's going to force that into a 37% tax bracket because $700,000 hits the highest bracket plus any state taxes that there are. So let's say that you're in a state where maybe there's a 7% state tax. By the time that you pay taxes on that, 44% of that asset is gone to taxes and the remainder goes to your child. And so the stretch IRA rules that we have right now are incredibly beneficial for people, but it's also a huge potential source of tax revenue that the government has on the table to say we may we may not allow this anymore because they want the tax revenue. Now, the reason we're talking about what happens at death is because some assets have preferential tax treatment at death, and that's called a step up in basis at death. So mutual funds, ETFs, stocks, and some land have what's called a step-up in basis at death. And what that means is let's say you bought something for $100,000 and now it's worth a million. There's $900,000 of gain in there. When you die, your beneficiaries don't have to pay taxes on that 900000 of gain, they get to inherit it at the million-dollar value. And if they sell it for a million and one dollars, they only pay gain taxes on the $1 of gain. So they just pay gain taxes on date of death value until they sell it. And all of that inherent gain from the time you bought it until the time you die gets to go away from a tax perspective. Now, that is a huge preferential tax treatment if I've ever seen one. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a, a very big one. And especially if you have assets that you've held on to forever, again, deciding when to take your money and where to take the money from when it comes to your multiple accounts, this is something to definitely consider. So when it comes to keeping more of your money, you have to pay attention to how the money goes into the funnel, how the money comes out of the funnel, how it interacts with your tax bracket and your long-term gain rate, And then at the end of the day, how much of the money do your beneficiaries get to keep if you're not going to use that money during your lifetime? And that's why tax-sensitive allocation is so important. So thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can ensure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated. Member FINRA SIPC. Insurance offered through Stirk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated. Neither Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated nor its representatives provide tax or legal advice. You should consult a qualified attorney or tax professional to answer your specific questions. Stirk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota, 57049 and can be reached at 605-217-3555.